we can look at the water inside of our body as a very malleable computer, right? So the crystalline structure, the structure that it currently has determines its programming and its function. It determines how much information it can transfer and how efficiently and effectively it can transfer that information, um, which all of our biological processes require, right? Is this transfer of information in and through water. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Medicine Stories podcast, where we are remembering what it is to be human upon the earth. I'm your host, Amber Magnolia Hill, bringing you episode 71 with Dr. Carly Newday, all about the science and magic and healing of water, one of my favorite subjects. It's been a while since I've put an episode out, and, you know, like, everyone else. I've been having weird times in life and lots of um, ups and downs, lots of confusion and vagueness is the word I keep coming back to. Everything has felt vague, especially during the month that we were under a cloud of smoke, which was kicked off by us evacuating. Our home is fine. We're fine but it's been very disconcerting and odd and just one small aspect of everything else happening to the collective right now. So I feel you all and see you all who are just struggling. I can't imagine anyone is just like feeling totally okay with the state of the world right now. So ever since I've been a young child, I've had this thought Like, what is the single um, thought or piece of information or fact or bit of knowledge or wisdom that would be most interesting to me? You know, like (laughs) something that I don't even know exists, maybe something I've never even pondered before, but if that information came to me, it would most blow my mind or change my life. And reading Carly Newday's book, Water Codes, was maybe the closest I've come to having that holy shit feeling. Like this is such profound knowledge. This is shattering to know the truth about water and to envision the potential for how we could be relating with water in terms of the collective consciousness, our individual consciousness, health, Uh, planetary health, ecosystem health, just so many you'll hear in the conversation. It's, It's so broad that it's hard to even put it into words, the, the profound potential of structured water when used ethically and intentionally is massive. I think about like, oh my gosh, if only we had an Elon Musk or someone really working with structured water the way that Dr. Marcel Vogel of IBM was working with it before his death. And Carly talks about that in this conversation. It could really move the needle so far as far as you know, the future of humanity and the planet is concerned. So I'm really excited to share this conversation. And just as I tell Carly, reading her book, I just couldn't believe. And then when I went to search in podcasts, there was only two podcast interviews with her. I like, I can't believe that everyone isn't just 
jumping, trying to get this information out. And, you know, there are many other people besides just Carly working on water, writing about water, but she has been my favorite resource that I found so far. Um, So for this episode's Patreon offering, it will of course be a giveaway of Dr. Carly Newday's book, Water Codes. Um, So you can head over there to patreon.com slash medicine stories and you'll find the giveaway there. It'll close on October 20th. And as always, the giveaway is open to everyone, not just patrons of the podcast. And look for an upcoming episode on um, more about what kind of water you should be drinking, how to structure your own water at home. Because as Carly and I say at the end, that's a whole episode unto itself. That's like a whole podcast unto itself, you know, a series. I could do hundreds of podcasts on that because there are so many ways to do it and so many different opinions. And so I'm going to have a guest coming up where we're really just going to focus on that. Um, Carly does talk about that a bit at the end here, and it's very helpful. But if you're anything like me, you're going to want to be knowing more practical stuff for how to get the best kind of water into your body. It's such a huge subject. So let's dive right in. Um, I know there's just so much going on in the world and so many places I could be going with this podcast. And as always, I'm working on a very slow time frame. This episode has been months in the making. And, you know, I wish, actually, I don't know if I wish that I was doing a more current events based podcast because that just sounds like a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And events change so quickly. And sometimes I feel one way, believe one story about something that's hot in the news right then. And then that shifts when more information comes to light. So there's so much topical stuff that is really important right now. And that's not what this podcast is specifically about. Although I, you know, obviously I'm a reflection of the environment and the culture in which I live as you are, and these topics continue to come up in the conversations far into the future. Um, But as always, I just follow what I'm interested in and what is calling to me. And thus far, 70 episodes in, um, it has really resonated with you all. So thank you so much. Thank you for the kind iTunes reviews. It means more than I could ever say to understand what this work is doing for people and just all the messages I get all the time. It's incredible. And I feel so grateful to be here in this position behind my microphone, putting out the Medicine Stories podcast. It is absolutely my life's work and I'm going to keep going with it. So thank you for being here and thank you for opening your mind to the mysterious magic of water here today with Dr. Carly Newday. Okay, Carly Newday, so excited to be speaking with you today. I've been sharing a lot about water on my Instagram account throughout the summer and really thinking about it in new light recently because of the fires that are raging in California. Now I'm sure you're breathing in the smoke, just like I am here. (laughs) Yep, yep. We probably have similar skies today. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, people are super interested. You know, my posts have been getting a lot of engagement. People are tuning into the knowledge that there's more to water that we've been told. Um, And there's so many possible entry points to our conversation here, but perhaps we can start with that, with the anomalous properties of water and what we are taught in school versus the truth and the reality of what water is. Yeah, it's a, that's a great place to start, right? So uh, we start off our education in probably uh, early elementary school learning uh, what H2O is water, right? And so we talk about, okay, atoms and molecules and hydrogen and oxygen. And, and we're taught that they're just sort of kind of randomly joined together um, bonding as a liquid. And if you heat it up, it becomes a gas. And if you freeze it, it becomes a solid. And, and that's, that's the extent of our, our education on the sort of chemistry of water. Um, but there's all of these anomalous properties, like you said, which are uh, the things that water does or happens, things that happen with water that aren't what we would expect kind of based on our models of chemistry and physics. So a super easy one is the way that um, water expands when it freezes. Uh, normal uh, models in chemistry and physics would just tell you that it should contract. Most frozen things contract. Uh, water's not that way. And, and so there's, there's actually many, many, many anomalous properties of water where it does things that we don't expect or the opposite of what we would expect. And, and it's all those properties that make water this amazing substance that supports life on this planet, right? Um, that the freezing one, I talk about it in the book. It's a very easy example for people uh, because when water freezes, it expands and it causes this turnover um, when our lakes and ponds freeze and then thaw. Uh, it helps keep our water cycling. That's what sustains our, our natural ecosystems on that our planet really depends on. Um, so yeah, super incredible substance. And yet we're just kind of left with this random assortment in a glass. And and the reality is that water, uh, particularly water in living things, is actually much more complex than that. Uh, So it's not just random molecules in a glass. These these H2O atoms and molecules are actually bonded in in specific ways, much like a crystal, uh, which is why water is considered um, a, a liquid crystal. Many types of water. So that's, that's the big thing uh, in education that, that I think we're missing is that, you know, there's two different types of water. There's bulk water, those random molecules in a glass, and there's structured water, which is those organized uh, liquid crystal patterned arrangement of molecules. And the reality is life depends on that structured water. And most of the water on our planet uh, is structured to some degree. So when we talk about bulk water, we talk about that random arrangement in the glass. And um, that is that is the exception more than it is the rule when it comes to water. Is that okay? So that's the exception. Bulk water is the exception, is what you're yeah. saying. And structured water is what we find in nature and when water is moving, right? Which that's is right. what it's meant to do. That's right. Um, and we, we've sort of created bulk water through our municipal water systems and... Sure. Pollutants, you know, really break things down. Water has a really hard time organizing itself when it's, um, when it's contaminated, 
right, with pollutants rather than when it's fortified with minerals. So, you know, natural true spring water would be uh, flowing through nature, being fortified with minerals along the way. Those minerals are actually what uh, water can use to increase its structure as it can bond around them and, and create these really complex organizations. You don't find that in distilled water. Uh, and you don't find that in in bulk water, highly contaminated water. So let's talk more because this is really, I think, the foundation of all this is to understand that there are two types of water that we're talking about. Like there is not just this ubiquitous H2O. There is the bulk water and then there is structured water or crystalline water, hexagonal water, easy water, the fourth phase of water. There's many different names that it goes by, but it's all the same thing. And the difference is the way the molecules arrange themselves. Yeah. Just tell us more, please. And especially, I love the focus in the book on um, water as a liquid crystal. Right, right. So it, it really is more like a liquid crystal. Um, it, what makes crystals special, what, what makes a crystal a crystal is uh, because its molecules are arranged in very specific patterns. And those patterns uh, determine what properties that crystal has. You know, what it does, quartz is piezoelectric. So when you uh, squeeze quartz, it produces electricity. That's because of the arrangement of its molecules. Uh, a ruby cut into a specific shape can cohere light. It's because of the arrangement of its molecules. So, so those patterns uh, determine properties when it comes to crystals. So the same thing happens with water, right? Those patterns determine the properties of that water. And we see this in, in uh, cellular structures all the time, right? So so there is a structure to the water in a cell, and that gives the cell its integrity. It maintains the uh, fluid balance that it needs to have. And as it loses structure, as that crystallographic organization breaks down, the properties change. And it be- becomes less life-sustaining is essentially what happens. It, it loses its ability to maintain cellular integrity, to transmit information, and, and conduct electromagnetic uh, signals and and so it 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 becomes less life sustaining. Um, that is the the big deal, right? Bulk water does not support and sustain life. Um, structured water does. It's necessary for life, and and we've seen this time and time again when we look at um, cancer, HIV, diabetes, these different chronic diseases, and we see and even accelerated aging too. And we see this breakdown in in cellular integrity uh, from the structure of the fluid. So that's the thing that all of these have in common is this trend more towards that bulk water end of the spectrum. If you look at water on a spectrum, which is really how we should look at it, uh, there's bulk water on one side of that spectrum and there's structured water on the other side. And there's this this uh, place in between, right? Where, where it's on a spectrum, there's small amounts of structure up to very complex arrangements of molecules. Um, the more you trend back towards bulk water, the less life support you're going to have. The more you trend towards highly structured water, uh, the healthier cellular systems and, and biological functions we, we experience and we see. Could we say, is it true that 
maybe for all, all of human history until very recently that all water was structured, unless maybe it was like stagnant in a pool for a short amount of time or something. Is it really just, um, you know, a modern thing that we have so much bulk water? I believe so. Right. So I, I see this sort of systemic pollution in our, in our society and in our planet. And that's really affecting our water's ability to support life. So I think I particularly think about that when I'm living in California. Not only do we have a drought, but I also think that our water has become so polluted that it's less bioavailable. Its structure isn't as high, and, and so it's, it's less, less supportive to our vegetation. Um, it's a compounding issue then, right? Uh, it's not just one thing or the other. These things are, are feeding themselves in this biofeedback loop that's leading us down a really dangerous path when it comes to not just our environment and, and ecological health, but also our physical health. I, I love that too. And I, we are going to get more into the body, um, but it's not just our bodies that are affected by the abundance of bulk water. It's the bodies of the plants and the animals and, you know, through the whole food chain and ecosystem. And when you were speaking, I was reminded of Charles Eisenstein, who's been on the podcast, um, his book on climate is about how it's bigger than just carbon. And, you know, his main focus is water. And mm, this yeah. makes me very curious to reread that those chapters in his book and tie them in with what I've learned from you and others. But I really would like to understand more of um, water as a liquid crystal because it's so mind-blowing and it makes sense when you think of it like that. If you're having a hard time understanding structured water, it's um, it's shaped in a specific way. And you give numerous quotes in the book about, okay, here's one from um, Carl Sagan. The beauty of a living thing is not the atoms that go into it. It's the way those atoms are put together. That's right. Right. Yeah. Structure is really important. It's, it's shape. Right. So it is the way those atoms are put together. It's their arrangement makes all the difference. Um, and you can really, again, the world of crystals, I tend to go back to this because it's just such fabulous examples of, of the incredible difference that just a simple change in structure can have. So if you look at diamond and graphite is an example that I like to use. Um, graphite is soft. It's very easily breakable. And it is carbon arranged in sheets stacked on top of each other like pieces of paper. And so when you think about that in your pencil, and, and as you write and those flakes sort of fall off and break, it's a, it's a very soft substance. It works great for things like pencils. Uh, in diamonds, that carbon is arranged in very tight interlocking patterns. And it's that, that, that tight structure of carbon rather than the flat sheets of carbon that make diamonds the hardest substance on earth. So, so these things are, are made out of the same thing. They're the same substance. They are both carbon. But that structure completely changes the properties of that substance. And so we can see that with water, right? Water, you have bulk water and you have structured water. Structured water is, I, I call it the H2O equivalent of diamonds, right? And it is the, the strong, the um, interlocking patterns, those tight, uh, perfect structures that make it capable to be the strongest substance on the planet. Um, graphite or bulk water, right, is, uh, is, is not. And it's simply a difference in structure. 
That's just the perfect analogy. It, it makes it all make so much sense. Um, what? Why is structured water also called the fourth phase of water? What does that mean? Right. So if we look at uh, what we tend to call the three phases of matter, we, we typically think of it as gas, liquid, and solid. Um, we tend to think of water as existing either as steam gas, as liquid water, or as solid ice. Uh, the fourth phase of water, it really is, is trying to point to a, a liquid crystal mesophase, uh, which is really what it's called. It's an in-between stage. This is in between liquid and solid, right? So uh, we have the properties of a solid because our uh, our molecules of hydrogen and oxygen are now arranged in crystallographic patterns like they are with ice. Um, but we also have the properties of a liquid because we are still fluid, we're still flexible, uh, and we're ca it's capable of change. So in, in ice, that crystallographic pattern gets locked in. Um, those molecules are still vibrating because everything is vibrating, but they're no longer free enough to rearrange themselves or to move past each other. They're sort of stuck vibrating in this uh, frozen state. Um, the, the fourth phase of water, that mesophase, that in-between stage between liquid and solid, uh, is when we are in those crystallographic patterns like we see in ice, but we we are, are still able to move. Water molecules are still able to um, break their bonds and rebond. So they're still uh, fluid and flexible and those crystallographic patterns are able to change in response to its environment. Um, at least that is the uh, theory that structured water uh, discusses is that it's changing in response to its environment rather than being some just sort of random arrangement. Well, on that note, let's talk about the experiment that Dr. Luc Montagnier did with the two. Yeah. To me, this this uh, was an eye-opening moment. And he is a doctor that I very much respect and was aware of his work before reading this book. Um, but this is just an incredible, incredible experiment and really shows us what is possible with water. Right, right. This was a, a pretty remarkable experiment. Um, so he, uh, the, he had two test tubes, uh, one that contained DNA and one that contained water. And um, by uh, keeping these two test tubes in proximity, proximity to each other, um, while uh, inducing an electromagnetic, excuse me, an electromagnetic field um, and an electromagnetic uh, charge waves. He was using, I, I would have to reference it. I want to say he was using a Schumann resonance, um, but I would have to go back and, and verify that. So <clears throat> I think it was 16 hours. He had these test tubes next to each other uh, in this, this space he'd created. And afterwards, he tested the test tube of water for the presence of DNA. Now, I, I need to be really clear about this, and, and it's, it's why I'm trying to choose my words carefully. He did not detect physical DNA, right? But the detection method we use is it's an enzymatic process where um, uh, we expose the uh, enzymes to the substance, and we can see if there's a reaction. There's a, there's a reaction in the presence of DNA. 
And that's how we're able to verify whether there's actual DNA in the substance or not. And so using that enzymatic reaction, right, using those enzymes, he, he verified a reaction, uh, which indicates the presence of DNA. So, so here's the way the, the theory breaks down, right? Um, is that by using uh, water in one test tube and DNA in the other, the, the wave that he created in that field uh, transferred information to the test tube of water. That test tube of water received this information from the carrier waves of the field of the DNA in the other test tube. And in response, I believe, generated a structure uh, in reaction to that DNA. I don't think the water itself created the physical DNA molecules in its tube, but it was structured itself to mirror that information from the other tube. So when the enzymes were entered into that water, had a reaction to that structure, because again, Dr. Sagan stated, it is the way those atoms are put together. Um, so just an incredible experiment and just really opens whole other worlds for quantum information transfer. Um, you know, when we look at quantum mechanics and quantum physics and how uh, things are able to sort of teleport across distance or how uh, atoms are able to, or, and molecules are able to communicate, you know, over large spaces of distance or small spaces of distance. Um, this really, really ties into that in, in discussing sort of how that's possible. And, and the role, the critical role that water plays in making that happen. Yeah, and he is a Nobel Prize winner. So this is very intelligent guy working on this. And what, what I'm hearing you saying is the second test tube did not have protein molecules of DNA in it, but the water in it structured itself to uh, echo the way that the water in the other test tube that did contain the physical DNA in it was structured. That's right. That's right. And if you think about it, you know, DNA is completely encased in water. And, and the reason our DNA double helix and, and spirals in such a way uh, is because of its reaction to water. So it's the hydrophobic hydrophilic reaction is, is what makes it coil. Um, so you know, the, the structure of our water plays a lot, a big role in how our DNA is able to um, physically express itself. Wow. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that it, it simply mirrored uh, the structure of the water in the other tube that was surrounding the DNA. And therefore, that when that enzyme came to have a reaction, right, all the reactions that our DNA has is through water. Everything in the body happens through water, right? There's like 10,000 water molecules around every single protein. Um, everything happens in, through, and because of water. So um, that enzyme was reacting to that structure is at least my interpretation of that study. And that's on page 24 of your book for anyone who's going to get the book and wants to read <laughs> more about, you, you dedicate quite a few pages to it. Um, okay, so... Did you just say that the double helix structure of DNA evolved that way because of the presence of water? Yes. Wow. Yes, it is. It is, it is the, the hydrophobic hydrophilic reaction that our protein has to water that makes it 
repel and then pull and then repel and pull and repel and pull. And that's what makes it coil. Wow. (laughs) Um, Another pretty foundational thing that you repeat over and over in the book is that, you know, we all know we're like 70 or 75% water or whatever by weight, but by molecular count, our bodies are 99% water. Yeah, right. It's like 99 point a ridiculous number. Um, I'm not sure that anyone is actually able to to specifically quantify that. The number is anywhere from 99 to 99.95, right? Or 99.995. It's ridiculous. And um, so Saul Williams is a, a fabulous poet. And I, I uh, give tribute to him in the book. He says, uh, we stand as the equivalent as of three buckets of water and a handful of minerals. And, and that's really what it is. Um, so yes, by weight, we're only, you know, 90% at birth, 70% uh, at the end of our age um, by weight, water. But because water molecules are so small, and there are so many of them, like I said, 10,000 surrounding each protein, there's, that's, that's a big ratio difference, right? We're talking a one to 10,000 ratio difference. Um, and, you know, Calcium and, and mineral uh, molecules are so large compared to water molecules. Um, so, really, by by molecular count, it's over ninety nine percent water. Uh, we are more water beings than anything else. Yeah. So clearly, this has enormous impact on our health and potential to move our health in either direction. Um, you mentioned, I think you mentioned aging earlier. And like you just said that we have so much less water by weight as we age, when, when we reach the end of our lives versus when we were children, I've heard it said that, you know, um, aging is really just a process of dehydration. And, and then speaking of the water molecules surrounding cells, um, I, maybe this is in your book. I don't remember if this is where I read it or not, but how the telomeres, the water is around the telomeres. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that, that happen with aging. Um, one of those things I do want to say right off the bat, you know, we talk about say 70% at the end of someone's life. So uh, yes, and 70% and of that 70% of a lot of it is now moved to the wrong places. So um, a lot of times later in life, we end up with edema. We have a dehydration in the cell. So our water has left the cell and has started to fill up in between cells. Mm-hmm. That's the edema and like fluid retention um, that, that isn't supporting our hydration levels, right? So this is water, bulk water, right? That we've now lost in the cells because we've lost structure over the course of our life. And we're now experiencing a, a higher amount of bulk water in our body. It is not accessible into the cells. It's not as bioavailable. Our cells are losing their integrity and becoming dehydrated while the space in between our cells is filling up with bulk water, which is not supporting uh, our biology or biological functions, right? Our biology. So, so that's one piece. Um, the other piece, yeah, is, is, is those telomeres. So we go back to uh, remember there's water surrounding the DNA and also running through that central column. Our, our DNA uh, is completely encased in water. And at the end of the DNA are those telomere strands. And those are the, um, those, those uh, strands that are 
are very often associated with aging. So it's the fraying of our telomeres can predict um, how old somebody is. They can actually look and measure how much has it frayed. That must be how old this person is. And so um, we see accelerated aging where those fraying is happening faster than it should. Um, But essentially scientists have, have looked at those telomeres and said, well, this is our, uh, our, our time clock, right? This is kind of our life clock. When our telomeres get down to the very end, we can't replicate anymore. And that's, you know, uh, death of old age, right? So when we look at those telomeres, though, uh, it's the water surrounding those telomeres is highly, highly structured, just like the rest of the water surrounding our DNA strands. And as we lose structure, that, that water that is so critical for maintaining the helix of our DNA and for maintaining the shape and health of our telomeres, that those, those water starts to break down uh, and it doesn't stack as tightly against those telomeres. And what we experience then is more fraying of those telomeres. And they're often, um, the, the metaphor typically used is like the end of a shoelace that starts to fray. So if you think about a shoelace, when you get a new shoelace and it has that plastic cap over the end that keeps it from fraying, that's the role of the structured water. That structured water is that tightly packed cap on those telomeres. And of course, what we know over time as you use your shoelaces is that plastic starts to break at the end or it might even fall off your shoelace completely, but it's starting to break. And that's when your telomeres will start to fray and your shoelaces start to fall apart. So what causes the water in one person's body to um, break down and become bulk water more quickly than in another person's body? That is the million dollar question, right? So um, now once we've accepted, okay, so structured water is important for life. Bulk water contributes to pathology and disease, and this breakdown is highly associated with aging. Okay, so let's look at what keeps our water structured. What is the difference, like you said, between one person and the next? So what makes water have structure, Like, what, and what causes it to lose it? We know pollution. We talked about our municip- municipal systems. Um, the way we treat our water, right? So we look at contaminants in the body and toxins in the body that contribute to breaking down our structure. And we also know that water is highly responsive to consciousness. So, and we see that in many, many um, photographic and visual researchers around the world that have done this. It's not just Emoto, right? But we've got some pretty good documented evidence for the relationship between water and consciousness as far as it being very responsive and then consciousness directly affecting the structure of water. Can I, uh, can I read a quote here that is in your book around that? So this is from Dr. Konstantin Korotov, Korotkov, director of sciences and professor of physics at the Russian Academy of Natural Sciences. We have carried out many experiments on the effect that quite diverse factors have on samples of water, magnetic fields, electrical fields, various objects, human presence, and human emotions. And it became clear that positive and negative human emotions are the strongest element of influence. Right. 
Absolutely. So water's really responsive, um, but in particular to consciousness, as Dr. Korotkov stated so, so wonderfully right there. Um, so we think about stress and the effect that stress has on our physical health. Uh, we think about anxiety and the effect anxiety has on our physical health. Um, the things we're exposed to in our, our media, negative thinking, negativity, um, even just some of the realities of the suffering and struggle that can come with life. You know, all of these have an effect. Um, when we look at the positive side of things, you know, this is where the biology of belief uh, plays such a critical role. This is the power of prayer and positive thinking. When we look at things like the secret and the law of attraction, this is the mechanism that those people or systems or ideas are trying to tap into. You know, they're trying to enter into that, that biofeedback loop of, of water and influence it through their consciousness, which I talk about this in the book is really difficult. When, when we look at the role that water plays in the body through the research that I did, both in the science of water and in the um, spiritual history and our ancestral relationship with water, it becomes very clear to me that the reason water is so easily influenced by consciousness is because that relationship is, uh, is, is very intertwined. It cannot, I, I don't believe it can be separated. So I think our memory and our consciousness is directly related to the structure of the water that, that we have in our body based on our experiences and our memories and, and uh, our influences and the things we've been exposed to. So if the structure of the water in my body is a direct result of you know, all of these exposures and influence and um, is part of my consciousness, it's very hard then to use my consciousness to increase the structure of my water um, because it's already a direct result of it, right? But that's what people are trying to tap into with meditation, prayer, um, positive thinking. That's the placebo effect, right? That's the, the physical mechanism. The structure of water has a physical effect in your body and, and it's responsive. So how can we best tap into that? Right. <laughs> yes. How can we best tap into that? Um, I, I want to go back to the word responsive because from what I understand, and I was rereading your book before we got on today to really try to like grasp this in my mind. When water is receiving information from whatever, electromagnetism or our consciousness, our thoughts, our emotions, what is happening in that responsiveness is that it's changing its crystalline structure based on the information that it is receiving. And so it can get more and more structured based on the quality of that information. Yes. Yes. Right. So. Uh, we can look at the water inside of our body as a very malleable computer, right? So the crystalline structure, the structure that it currently has, determines its programming and its function. It determines how much information it can transfer and how efficiently and effectively it can transfer that information, um, which all of our biological processes require, 
right, is this transfer of information in and through water. So um, the, the changes in that structure are going to affect the way that information is transferred, the way that information is translated, right? Um, and, and so this is where like perception plays such a, a big piece, how you and I can be exposed to the same information. Um, but because your associations with it might be different, your memories with it might be different, right? Your, your brain and thought patterns flow on a different track than I might have to the same image, say. We're both shown an image. We react differently to it. A lot of that has to do with the structure in our water that, that generates all of these things, where our memories are stored and, and how that information uh, transfers and processes in our body. It's really how we're processing information. There's just so much potential, right? It's like, there is, there is, and it's a huge subject. So, so it's hard. It was hard to like, you know, keep the book to a manageable read, right? I'm, I'm trying to cover a lot of different um, pieces of water and, and just one thing. This is the most, uh, abundant substance on our planet and the most mysterious, which, which is amazing. Right. So, um, it's, it's a lot to try and, uh, sort of, um, pick apart and, and figure out. Right. But I think, I think the big takeaway for me, uh, in, in all of this was understanding there are two types of water and that structure matters. And that it, it can be changed, it can be influenced, and it can be affected. And that more research and more inspiration um, should be channeled in that direction. So what kind of water do you drink? So I, I, purification is really important, right? So I drink water that has been um, purified, remineralized, and structured. And um, that is a process that I think is necessary. And if we really want to try to create the best water we can at home. Um, so that's what I tried to do. And unfortunately, our pollution is at such a level, it's, we, we really can't just take what's out of our tap. Um, it, it needs to be purified, mineralized, and structured. And what about wild water, spring water? Again, uh, the pollution in our world has has become so systemic to such a degree that I don't believe you can find clean sources of water. Mm. It's rare. Mm -hmm. So it's rare to the point that I really only know of two spring sites in the United States that produce a, a quality water. Everything um, else. Can you really share cool. what those are? Oh, oh, one of those would be Tourmaline Spring in Maine. Mm. So um, that is that is one of the the best springs that we have in our in our nation, probably. Mm. What about um, like Mount Shasta? So many Californians go there for their water. They do. Um, really, unfortunately, in California. You know, our air pollution is 
is too high and the amount of um, activity um, over in that area and, and just human exposure and the amount of uh, bottling facilities and um, Shasta produces a good water. It does. Shasta produces a water that's, that's well enough for Crystal Geyser to bottle, right? Um, and, and I, I question its integrity. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's just too much. Okay. Yeah. We drink um, spring water here in Grass Valley and, and we will go back to the, the work that you're doing on water purification and structuring at the end. But, um, it's what, what is this thing where in the world of what I've heard it called, heard them called hydro hippies, um, you know, folks who really, (laughs) I'm sure you immediately understand what that is. I'm, I'm just, I'm curious about how so many doctors scientists, Nobel Prize winners, Dr. Marcel Vogel, who I'd love for you to talk about maybe in this answer, or who worked with at IBM, have worked on this. No, no, the truth about water. And yet there's sort of this perception in the public consciousness that it's just a bunch of woo-woo new age bullshit. And maybe that's partly because it is still mysterious. There's still a lot that we don't understand. And, you know, the way we've all been indoctrinated in this culture is, oh my gosh, if you're talking about like consciousness at all, you're some whacked out hippie. But I'm just curious your thoughts on that. And then maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, Dr. Vogel as well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So... Well, you nailed it, right? It, a lot of it is because there's still mysterious things about it. So automatically then it's sort of um, relegated to the world of the unknown, which often gets clumped with things like metaphysics. Um, and then there's the indoctrination. Uh, there's that, that lack of education where people just don't know there is a, a very um, scientifically established and accepted understanding that we have bulk water and we have structured water. These are not words that I made up. They exist in the scientific community. Um, so I, if I, I feel like if that reality was something that was incorporated into our early education, we wouldn't be in this kind of situation where it's fringe, right? So there's, there's just that lack of education. And then how did, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So also um, the world of crystal technology, you know, that's really, that's really like catapulted our technological era, right? So our technological era is largely because of the advances in crystallography and being able to use the properties of crystals um, you know, to create things like LCD screens or um, the first radio or the, the first, uh, you know, pressure systems or, I mean, really, it's, it's the first lasers. And now, even today, our solid state computers are based off of crystals in our hard drives. Um, we're able to store massive amounts of, of up to holographic information, much less just clean data in crystals. Um, 
So I think that what happens is people, average people who don't work in a field that relates to that are sort of disconnected from that relationship um, and just how prevalent crystal technology is in our lives. Um, you know, so that's another piece of education. I think if we were all really aware of that, it would be a lot easier for us to translate. Oh, okay. So liquid crystal in my LCD screen, that's fluid, flexible, and capable of change. My water can too. Right. Um, so I, you know, it's an educational issue at that point. And mm -hmm. that's how Marcel got into this, right? So Marcel working at IBM was a crystallographer working on hard drives and magnetic hard drive systems and working with crystals in a computer lab. Um, and it was, it was uh, when he started to recognize a relationship between crystals and consciousness uh, and then went from water and crystals and water and consciousness. So, um, you know, his track was was through crystallography, whereas, um, you know, another scientist might have come to it through through actual water. Right. But I think it was because he was such uh, such an incredible crystallographer that he was able to translate the, those ideas really easily to understand liquid crystallography and how that translated to water as a liquid crystal. Um, when he was able to recognize that that water uh, contained all of the crystallographic patterns in nature. So you think about crystals, all of the amazing properties that we're able to get from crystals and their patterns, and then consider that water is capable of utilizing all of these patterns. You know, the world of, of what's possible through water then um, becomes very large. It's like all my idealism and optimism is just dreaming up a world in which we're fully attuned to the possibilities of water and able to like humanely and ethically work with water in such a way as to, you know, create like the, the Eden that it could be here on earth. It's so exciting. Right. I think water. It is exciting. It is exciting. And you mentioned it, you know, um, ethically, right? That's the only way water's really going uh, mm -hmm. to respond to what, what we're asking, right? So because it's so responsive, um, I do think it takes certain people to, to try and, and ascertain what it's capable of. Um, you know, people really criticized Emoto for being so selective about who was on his team. Um, but I just thought that that displayed a real understanding of the impact that they have on the work, just their presence, just their consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, I want to read a beautiful quote. Just again, I found this in your book, just to sort of tie in a lot of what we've talked about. And this is Dr. Marcel Vogel from IBM. He wrote that ultimately a theory that could adequately explain the existence of structured water would also explain the connection between mind and matter. And I just think this is so, so fascinating. Um, and, you know, even in Frozen 2, there's this whole theme in that film that water holds memory, which I just, you know, when I first watched it and I heard Olaf say that, I was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, they're giving this idea to so many millions of children right now. And it comes up throughout the film. Um, right. So like just thinking right. of 
I, I don't, I don't even know what I want to say about that. I just, I love that idea more than anything. And when I am in a body of water, it's when I feel the most human. Yeah, everything right. falls away. All, ev- all the structures and everything I've been taught and told and the culture, it's all gone. And I am just pure consciousness existing in greater nested matrices of pure consciousness. Absolutely. Uh, just being in water or just being in the presence of water can be very therapeutic. And, and we know this even just from uh, scientific studies on neurology uh, that, that we're able to tell. There's a fantastic book uh, called Blue Mind that really talks about the effect of uh, ocean and sources of water on the mind. And people use it for um, therapy and therapeutics, that, whether it's physical or mental, autistic, uh, you know, therapies too. Um, because it really does help to strip away all of those constructs or uh, created anxieties or, you know, those sort of worldly influence that that ties up so much of our consciousness. And, you know, our, our brains don't get much of a break. Um, so and, and that that stress is is destructive. Right. So uh, being in the water, allowing that stress to sort of melt away. Um, feeling your humanity outside of all of these you know, mental constructs and um, just being present, right? That is a fabulous way to maintain and, and increase and try to counteract uh, the destructuring nature of our world. Yeah, absolutely. That That's what brought me into interest in water. It was just a lifelong love of being in water. And like love almost doesn't even say how profound and and deep the connection and the feeling is. Um, I, you know, I grew up in South Lake Tahoe and like looking back, oh my gosh, that is the water that raised me. What an absolute gift. And being here now with the Yuba River. And since I was maybe 11 or 12, I've taken a bath almost every day. It's just like, I need that water around me all the time. And (laughs) it is right. It's, it's the womb. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just, so yeah, that that quote that you mentioned from Marcel, uh, that's one I really love because that, that is something that came up for me over and over again whether I was looking at water through the lens of science or whether I was looking at it through the lens of our you know, spiritual relationship over uh, the course of, of humanity, um, that water plays the critical role in the mind-body-spirit connection. So, um, you know, water to me is the medium that allows that relationship and that feedback loop. So, and the, the mind, body, spirit changes to our spirit, affects the structure of our water, which affects our mind and affects the physical um, manifestation in our body. So uh, for me, water is, is that medium uh, for energetic information manifesting into physical reality. And it, water is what makes that happen. Yeah. And I, as we've touched on a few times, the more structured and crystallographic the water in our bodies, like the easier it is to move things through consciousness into reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And the more connected we are to uh, higher 
higher thinking, right? And higher being. Which is so important right now in the total insanity of this current moment in our human culture and the fear, polarization, hate, confusion. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of where I was going earlier is that being in water helps me remember what it is to be human. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we all need more of that. Yeah. Like you said, especially when uh, the world is such a hard place. Um, We can really see the, the results of a lack of structure, you know, a lack of consciousness that, that breeds things like hate or that prevents people from being able to think critically uh, about the information that they're given. Mm-hmm. Um, have you watched the new Netflix film that just came out this week, uh, The Social Dilemma? Mm-hmm. I have it's, not seen that yet. It's so, I truly feel like every, every human on the planet who has a social media account or a smartphone or uses a computer in any way should watch it. But you know, it's about how social media and the algorithms and Silicon Valley's um, you know, way of making money is directly responsible for where we're at right now um, with all the things we just talked about. So it's just really interesting to be having this conversation the day after I watched that and watching it, I wasn't thinking water is one solution to this problem, but it it so clearly is. Right. Well, and if we think about, you know, I struggle with, um, there, there's been something that has come up repeatedly in conversations that I've had with friends and family over the last, well, few years, <laughs> we'll say, um, is how can um, I hear someone talk and I hear something completely different than what someone else hears? Or how is it that I can see something that seems very clear happening in my world, and yet there's an entire mass of my fellow Americans who are not seeing the same thing that I'm seeing? Well, if you consider and um, that the structure in our water, in our body, in our brains, and um, contributes to how we process information, and that we have a pollution through not just our physical pollution of our our contaminants and our food, water, and air, but also through our social media platforms, through the news and media people are exposed to today. It has been polluted. I'm sure the social dilemma talks about that. Um, how polluted it is with things like disinformation and misinformation, which we can think of as toxins, right, to to our mental health. And how are these things breaking down the structure in our in our bodies and in our water and making people unable to connect with what someone else might see, right? Um, it's it's a big deal. It's a yeah. big deal. Yeah. Or what you said about critical thinking, making people seriously unable to think clearly and critically. Right. Right. There's just, for me, it's, it's just really, um, I see it as that lack of structure preventing information from processing correctly. Right. You're just not going to have that kind of coherent thought or, or higher level thinking that engages things like critical questions. Right. 
Holy shit. <laughs> it's just, I mean, this, this comes up over and over again on the podcast. It's all connected. It's, it's all connected. Always. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Always. We try to take this reductionist approach to our world and try to like isolate um, you know, different experiences or different processes or different, you know, aspect, aspects of, of life or biology or society. And at the end of the day, you know, um, that approach might give us a lot of insight into one specific piece of that, uh, but it also blinds us to the effect and relationships on the, on the whole because um, it's all connected. And I mean, and here's water. It's the medium that literally connects it all. That's um, right. So let's, let's hold a vision for a future in which humanity has gotten past this moment, moved in a more healing, healthful direction. And I want to tie this into the past and ask you, what did our ancestors know about water and how has like the spirituality of humans always grounded itself in water? Yeah. So throughout time uh, on our planet, regardless of place in history or our geographic location, uh, humans have always had a relationship with water that involves a sense of purification not just physical cleanliness, but spiritual cleansing, um, a, a place of truth and, and honesty and a place of a divine connection. So whether that's through baptisms or uh, holy water uh, rituals or uh, divination or parting Red Seas and, and doing these sort of miraculous events of, of walking on water or generating storms. I mean, there's, there's all of these places in our history where we have recognized not only um, the profound potential of people to do and, and participate in miraculous events with water and healing springs and curings and relieving of chronic and acute ailments. Um, but then also, you know, that, that relationship of purification of, you know, cleansing oneself before uh, presenting to the Lord or of, of water holding uh, the spirit of God. And, and we see that all over the place. We also see water existing before um, the physical elements of creation in many creation stories, not just the, you know, Judeo-Christian traditions, um, but also Hindu traditions, Babylonian traditions, Native American traditions, African traditions. And we often see this idea of first there was water and then the universe was created from that. And I don't look at that as like, oh, there was a bunch of hydrogen and oxygen floating around in space, right? And um, that some deity or divine consciousness was was swimming in. Um, it's it's that physical, uh, um, I'm sorry, that cosmic physical properties. That idea that water is this crystallographic medium that allows for energy uh, to 
be manifested in a physical way. So in the beginning, the spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters and then the firmament was created, then heaven and earth, then, right, these other things are made. And it was over the waters of our universe, that cosmic background, cosmic radiation of, of potential, that dark matter and dark energy potential where um, things can be created, that, that medium, right, that tapestry on, on which, uh, that canvas on which creator can, can create. I'm glad you said dark matter and dark energy. That's where my mind was going as you were speaking too. And I remember hearing recently that there's now sort of an outgrowth idea of that. I think it's dark fluid or maybe dark liquid. And it's basically, sure. yeah, it's what you're just saying. It's like, oh, but actually, yeah, this um, zero point field or, you know, the the energy from whence it all came is probably like liquid. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, for, for centuries, um, humans have, have written about that and sung about that and talked about that and embraced that, um, as you know, not, not just this deep relationship with water because we require it in order to live. Right. But also this deep reverence for water and the power that it has for us spiritually. Um, you know, that is a, a, important piece of virtually every culture throughout time. Um, and that's not by accident. I was a religious studies major. And so I love the part in the end of your book where you, you give specific examples of these origin stories and these mythic connections to water that people have had throughout time in different traditions. Um, Okay, let's, and I just can't encourage people enough to read the book. It, like you said, this is truly an infinite subject. Um, and I like the more I get into it, the more I realize how much more there is to know. It's really like a lifetime of study if you really want to make water your life. Um, but you do a beautiful job of summarizing so many aspects of it <laughs> in just really, I don't know, beautiful ways. Um, so it's a great introduction and let's get into now the, um, cause I'm sure people are wondering about how they can get the best structured water into their bodies. And I know that looking at your website, you are working on a filter or you're affiliated or somehow associated with, so just tell us about that, please. Sure. So there, there are a few systems that I recommend, and I do talk about this in the book, both in terms of you know, systems that I would recommend or even some DIY options that people can do. Um, the number one thing to just remember is that water is so responsive. So doing something is better than doing nothing, right? Now, that being said, um, I have found in my experience that most of the things available on, in the market, while they may have an effect, it's not, in my opinion, um, it's not uh, relative to the cost of investment. So, you know, if you're going to spend hundreds of dollars on something, it should do more than, than just a little, right? Um, so it should have a greater effect than simply 
sticking a sticker on your water bottle. If a sticker is going to get the same amount of effect as this expensive filter, get, you know, there's, there's not a point. So uh, that's a piece that I've, I've struggled with is, is being frustrated with the things available in the market and feeling like there's a lot of um, marketing and gimmicks that are at play um, that are intended uh, not to educate and help the consumer, um, but to sell a product that may or may not be helpful. And then there's the fact that at least one of those companies is an MLM. And so there's that structure happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, when it comes to structuring water, the, the first thing that I would remind people is something's better than nothing. The second thing is to stay away from um, ionizers and electrolysis units. I am not a proponent of ionizers and electrolysis units, um, and neither was Marcel Vogel. So um, I, I do find that that tends to rip apart structure that's not able to rebuild in an effective way. Um, so I, I don't recommend things like Kangen machines. Um, I do recommend purifying your water if possible, whether that's through something like a Berkey filter or, um, you know, any filters better than no filter, but, but don't be, you know, don't, uh, don't be taken in by marketing. Realize that most reverse osmosis systems on the market are not effective. So there's only one purification system that I really recommend that, that, performs in real world conditions and that I have seen independent tests done on in real world per conditions. Um, most RO units are, are designed to perform in a lab. They just don't hold up. So they lose efficacy really quickly. Um, and, you know, it's just not, not worth it. So purify your water if possible, remineralize your water, whether it's through remineralization drops or what I would recommend is a broad spectrum remineralization excuse me, remineralization system. So um, I, I typically uh, advocate for the Tensui. I do not have an affiliation with that company, um, but it is a fabulous unit. So I recommend it. Um, a, a Tensui is a, a unit that consists of different minerals um, and gives you a, a very broad spectrum of bioavailability. Um, it's not something that's just super high in calcium. If people do have to be careful. Again, we come to marketing, you'll see you go to the store and you'll see a bunch of different waters on the shelf. You go to a Whole Foods and you'll see all kinds of waters on the shelves that, you know, high pH this and mineral that. And, you know, most of them are not worth it. They're just not worth it. So be careful. Um, there's DIY systems you can do. Um, for years when I was getting started and experimenting, and I had just like a simple shower filter I picked up on eBay with the ceramic beads and I dumped them out and I filled it up with crystals and shungite because something is better than nothing, right? So I don't want people to think that you have to have hundreds or even thousands of dollars to put into state-of-the-art water systems. If you have the resources to do that, do that. But most of us don't have those kinds of resources. So we need to just do the best with what we can. Spring water is better than tap water, right? Um, consciousness and positive intention is better than nothing. Um, Berkey systems are not bad for people who lack the space or, or real resources for an under-the-counter system. So, you know, as a consumer, we just need to make some educated decisions. and. 
investing in our health is important. So what we can invest, we should. Yeah. And you do have a section in the book where you write a few pages on all, all of the things people do to structure their water and your thoughts on those and the most and least effective. Cause that's, that's a whole nother podcast hour to get oh, in. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But that, that you, you mentioning being at the store does make me want to ask you if you're like, you know, broken down on the side of the road with no water, but there's a grocery store right there, which brand of bottled water would you buy? So to me, they're all the same. They might as well come from the same manufacturer. So if I'm going to get bottled water, it doesn't matter. It's bottled water. You know, I'm, I'm already at a level where, uh, it's not a quality. So, um, and really most of them do come from the same place. And a lot of them are just tap water in a bottle. Uh So what happens is I, I don't get stuck out without water. (laughs) You you bring it with you. You keep the extra in your car. You fill up your gallon that you keep in the back of your gallon glass jug. You keep your, you know, your water bottles with you. And um, thankfully over the past decade, we've really shifted into more, uh, drinking more waters and less sodas. So at least, you know, we've got some consciousness already, um, for people to have a good reusable bottle that they can. Yeah. Um, I'll just close with one more thought, which is health-minded people like myself, you know, I've spent what 15 years being really curious about the food that I'm eating and very intentional about what I put into my body as far as food goes, but not paying the same attention to water. Mm. And clearly that is the more important input here. Right. I would argue that most people get more contaminants from their water than they do from their food. Uh, just generally speaking in your average diet and, um, you know, average American. So yeah, it's great to buy organic and reduce your toxicity through the foods that you eat. But if you're not going to consider the water that you're drinking, I think that's kind of a mute point. So (laughs) take that money and put it into a good water system Mm -hmm. and, you know, really start there. Organic food is expensive. You know, it really is. So if people are going to invest in that, really get a water system, right? Get a good water system. Um, True Spring, uh, Nevin, my, my colleague Nevin at True Spring has what I consider to be the best water system available. Um, so if you can, do it. Okay. And I see the 10 suite on your website I'll be sure to put True Spring there in the show notes. Um, and oh, aren't you working on a new book? I am. Yeah, um, and it it really deals with a lot of that toxicity and pollution. Um, I I think people are just not aware. Again, partly that educational <laughs> issue where you know um, we think all water is the same. If it's clear and it's in a cup, then then it must be healthy, right? And that's just not necessarily the case. So um, people really do have to look past what just what they see and, and consider uh, what they're not seeing and how it's affecting their health. Great. What's the name of the book? Uh, it is not titled yet. We're still working on that. Okay. Um, do you have an ETA? I do not yet. 
Yeah. So I, I had hoped to have it out uh, this fall, but it looks like I might be pushing towards the spring. Okay. Keep an eye on your website and thank you so much, Carly. I, um, I, I just had this beautiful day at the Yuba river this summer. And when I was home that night, I was like, I need to know more about water. What is it that I don't know about this substance that makes me so happy? And I went to Amazon and I was looking at all the water books and reading the descriptions. And some of them I was like, no, that sounds too whatever, you know. But yours, I was like, this sounds like the one. And I'm so glad I just made that purchase on a whim and very grateful for the work that you've done. How um, understandable you make it, how eloquent you are, and just Thank you so much. Thank you, Amber. Oh, that's that's really fulfilling and and rewarding to hear. You know, um, that was that was my hope in in writing it was just that um, you know it would reach some other people who would think it was as amazing information as as I do. It's incredible. incredible. (laughs) Well, as I said when I emailed you, like I can't believe you're not being asked to be on every podcast and like news show. (laughs) How is not every human on earth like? Oh my God, I need to know this. Yeah, I I wish uh, you know I wish more people knew it for sure for sure you know marketing is is not really my area um, so I'm I'm just not a self promoter and it it really is up to um, people to look and find and to refer friends and to share and and do the good work like you're doing to you know give people access um, to the different guests and information that, that you highlight in your, in your show. So, um, it's a privilege to be a part of that. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I am truly honored to, to bring this information to people. Okay. Thank you, Carly. Thank you. Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find past episodes, my blog, and our handmade herbal medicines at mythicmedicine.love. We've got reishi, lion's mane, elderberry, mugwort, yarrow, redwood, body oils, an amazing sleep medicine, heart medicine, earth essences, so much more, more than I can list there, mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, check out my quiz, which healing herb is your spirit medicine? It's fun and lighthearted, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with both the medicine that you're in need of and the medicine that you already carry and can bring to others. If you love the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash medicine stories. It is so worth your while. There are dozens and dozens of killer rewards there, and I've been told by many folks that it's the best Patreon out there. We've got ebooks, downloadable PDFs, bonus interviews, guided meditations, giveaways, resource guides, links to online learning and behind the scenes stuff, and just so much more. The best of it is available at the $2 a month level. Thank you. And please subscribe on whichever app you use. Just click that little subscribe button. 
and review on iTunes. It's so helpful. And if you do that, you just may be featured in a listener spotlight in the future. The music that opens the show is by Marie Sue. That's M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U-X from her beautiful song, Wild Eyes. Thank you, Marie. And thanks to you all. I look forward to next time.